Good morning, listeners. On behalf of the Government of Canada, I would like to extend a full and sincere apology for the following episode. It has been my honor to found, a few hours ago, the new Federal Department of Obscenities and Cultural Appropriation Canada. Soyez les bienvenus, chers écouteurs. Les patates frites sont excellentes dans une sauce de tomates sucrées. By order of this department, today's episode of Snidely Porpington and the House of Bork is cancelled for violations of Canadian values in its use of an unauthorized foreign accent. This is a voluntary cancellation, meaning listeners are free to tune in if they accept the risks of this offensive content. Please be aware that if you listen to this episode, the federal government reserves the right to freeze assets in your personal bank account. Par ordre de ce département aujourd'hui et pas hier, c'est maintenant le temps de faire partie. Finally, I would like to add on a personal note that foreign accent-based comedy is never acceptable. As a form of gateway joke leading to unalloyed racial hatred, humor at the expense of foreign accents is just one degree removed from donning black face paint on three separate occasions and dancing in front of your friends as a shameful racial stereotype. I'm still pissed off at myself about doing this as a younger man, and I've given myself several timeouts over the past few years to think hard about what I've done. Quand j'étais un garçon, je mangeais quatre dizaines d'œufs. Chaque matin, pour me faire grandir. Maintenant que je suis grand, je mange cinq dizaines d'œufs, et je suis plus ou moins la taille d'un barf. Thank you. Merci. And I am still very sorry. Chapter 3, in which our hero nearly bumps into the main plot. A word now concerning the more well-known events of Bogwart in 1994. This was, of course, the year of the infamous Triple Wizen Tourney, a contest held, curiously, without the participation of the magical schools from North America, nor Ram Mohan Roy Jadu Vidyalaya of Bengal, nor even Milton Obote Tewali Isikole in Uganda. Regarding the tourney, a good deal of controversy had been surrounding the selection of school champions. Professor Dumbledore had made it known to Felch that under no circumstances were any seventh-year Bioruk students allowed to enter their names in the Triwizen Cup, despite all other seventh-years being free to do so. This became a point of great contention with a few fifth-house students. While most simply could not be bothered to care about the tourney, and others were blissfully unaware it was even taking place, a small but vocal minority were not only invested in the hallowed contest, but loudly singing the praises of their own champion. Jin Ji was an exchange student from China, now in her seventh year. She had arrived in England with a decidedly limited grasp of the English language, and had therefore been shunted into Boark, on the assumption of low intelligence. Over the past six years, however, Ji had proven herself to be by far the most talented of the Boark students, inventing endlessly appalling jinxes and hexes, to the great annoyance of teachers and mainstream students. A brilliant but unsociable girl, Ji had spent long hours in the kitchens, learning obscure magic and foul language from the Domus elf cooks. As a result of all this, she had developed into perhaps the most feared student in the whole school. If anyone was mean enough to win the triple wizen tourney for Bogwart, it was Jin Ji. Alas, Dumpledorn, 
perhaps recalling the unpleasant memory of Xi enchanting several garden gnomes to follow him around for a week, narrating his every action, had definitively banned her, and her entire house, from entry into the cup. Students in Bark were used to such arbitrary restrictions, of course. Since most of them had apparently little or no magical ability, the classes they were able to attend were not many. History of magic was fine, as was Mongol studies and astronomy. Perhaps most surprising of all, potions was also available to the students of the fifth house. This was a source of intense chagrin to Professor Snipe, who made every effort to discourage them from attending past their first class. Snidely and Teresa had stuck with potions through the years precisely to piss off Professor Snipe. On a nondescript Wednesday, they made their leisurely way to the dungeons for the first class of the year. Along the way, Teresa held forth on her usual sustained critique of the overtly phallic and thus misogynistic shape of traditional wands. Snidely gave a polite ear, and in all honesty he could not have given less of a shit. They reached the door of the large dungeon, where Hugo leaned against the wet stonework. He was sucking on a sherbet lemon from the packet he'd nicked from Dumbledore's office. I hope, love, he said happily, wiping his sticky, chubby fingers on his soft-stained robes and giving them both a fat whack on their shoulders. Get a move on, you great lump, Teresa said, half-exasperated. Lump was Teresa's pet name for Nunsuch, for whom she harbored a great deal of repressed romantic affection. The three boorkers sauntered into the dim, torch-lit classroom a respectable fifteen minutes late. The tall, gaunt, and raven-haired snipe turned sharply at the scrape of Hugo's chair on the stone floor. Surprised you could tear yourselves away from scrubbing the toilets, simpered snipe, a snooty smirk spreading on his smarmy, sniggering snout. Snidely made a well-chosen hand gesture once the professor's back was turned, and class continued. Snipe sneered his instructions for the potion through a permanent scowl, and within half an hour the three broil orkers bruised were strikingly diverse. Snidely's potion became a hopeless beige goop, mostly solid, since he'd spent over half the class doodling obscene pictures on his desk. Teresa made a half-assed effort at first, before getting totally frustrated from sprinkling in too much Yeti dandruff. She thus produced a shiny, sparkly, but foul-smelling broth that threatened to overflow her cauldron. This was a far cry from the tranquil and pale blue liquid in the most talented students' pots. Most hopeless of all, Hugo had barely made an attempt to brew anything, deciding instead to absent-mindedly ingest most of his ingredients while giggling at Snidely's rude drawings. He made steady progress eating the various herbs and dried objects, and only slowed down when he began to choke on a dried batwing. Thinking quickly, he bent over his desk to give himself the Heimlich maneuver, and after a few good heaves spewed out bits of skin and sinew all over the stone floor. Snipe slid stealthily over and smacked the back of Hugo's bulbous head, causing the boy to choke for another half a minute. Another fruitless quarter of an hour passed, during which the three feckless teens achieved precious little in their respective cauldrons. As class came to an end, Snipe spoke in a clear, malevolent voice. You may all now sample your breath-freshening solutions, and pray that you have brewed them correctly. With a slight smirk in the direction of the Bjork students, he sat at his desk and waited. The three friends looked at each other, shrugged, and each in turn took a sip of their own concoction. The results were immediate. Hugo experienced little effect, as his assignment had barely left the broth stage, his ingredients instead finding their way down his gullet. 
Teresa, on the other hand, turned bright yellow and got uncontrollable hiccups, froth forming at the corners of her mouth. Snidely, unluckiest of all, actually felt his tongue begin to swell. Drool slowly dripped down his chin, as his exposed mouth muscle grew several inches longer than any such organ should. You may now visit Madame Pomfrey in the hospital wing, sneered a serene, supercilious snipe. Chapter 4, in which our hero witnesses a flaming disgrace. After spending less than an hour in the hospital wing, the fifth house students were released, restored to full health once more. The bunder the weather orkers were constantly in and out of the hospital wing, so much so that Madame Pomfrey, whom they all knew on the first-name basis of Peppy, had a special cabinet put aside, featuring her quickest, cheapest, and lowest-effort cures. Once feeling better, Snidely, Hugo, and Teresa joined the rest of their school in the Great Hall. The faculty and student body were entranced by an altogether different spectacle, the selection of the tourney champions. Adults and children from all three schools had assembled in the Great Hall and were gathered around a large, impressive goblet in the center, gazing on as it seemed to pulse with a secret knowledge. Dumbledore emerged from the tightly packed crowd and strode manfully to the edge of the age-sensing circle. We have gathered here to select our champions, and now, with this selection, the few will represent the many. In doing so, our brotherhood and solidarity will grow, and set an example throughout wizardkind for the many, not the few. The ancient headmaster's voice rang out. The rosy scarlet robes he'd selected for the occasion glinted in the chandelier's firelight. A wave of appreciation spread through the throng, and many started to murmur their support in an almost football chant-like rhythm that nobody could quite explain. This will be a dangerous undertaking for all chosen, but I know that whomsoever the cup chooses will be up to the task. Suddenly the cup glowed brighter than before, and it started to emit a low hum. Blue flames burst from the top, and a single scrap of paper shot into the air and was immediately caught in the headmaster's wizened hand. The champion for Dern Strange is Victor Crumb. Everyone fell silent as the cup glowed bright again, repeating the flames and paper projectile. The headmaster once again caught the slip between his hairy knuckles and held it aloft, eyeing it through his demi-lunar bifocals. The champion for Beau Ballon is Fleuve de la Croix. The French contingent made their pleasure known with taste and civility, clapping and huzzahing as the fetching fleuve gave a ravishing smile. Thus far the evening had gone exactly as planned. The only question remaining was which witch or wizard from Bogwart would now emerge as the third champion. The crowd fell silent as the cup glowed for the final time, spitting out yet another scrap caught nimbly by the cheerful supercentenarian. The champion for Bogwart is Cedric Chicory. The rest of the hall cheered in raptures, especially the Hufflenuffs, as this was now the best news they'd received since Ernie McMaldon set the new record for most personal insults uttered in a school year, more than doubling the previous mark set by Cantankerous Knot all those years ago. The students had already begun to chatter away about the cup's choices, when suddenly the mysterious object began to glow again. Dumbledore turned on his heels to look over, the luminous blue reflected in his piercing eyes. In a moment, the cup belched out a final scrap of paper, caught once more by the agile, aged hand. Instead of announcing the name as before, he now paused, apparently stunned by the words he saw. Snidely had pushed his way to the front of the crowd, and now stood just a few feet from Dumbledore. 
Peering over the headmaster's arm, he was just able to make out the words scrawled on the parchment. They read, Jinji. Somehow, inexplicably, the mischievous cup had chosen the Chinese Wu Worker as an additional champion. Jinji! Snidely yelled out euphoric, raising his arms in amazement. Then he felt a cold, bony hand clamp down on his shoulder. Oh, shut it, you wee numpty! Professor McDonagall hissed in her barely intelligible brogue. She gave a flick to her wand, and Snidely's mouth snapped closed. Hearing the confused murmurs grow behind him, Dumbledore gathered himself up and, without warning, shouted, Uh, Harry Potter? Harry Potter? The crowd gasped in disbelief to hear the famous fourth year's name called. Harry himself was nowhere to be seen, yet Dumbledore doubled down on his fabrication, shouting the name twice again, each time louder than before. At last, Harry was pushed out in front, then quickly swept into a side room by the rampaging headmaster. Snidely hurried after them, and just before the door closed, he heard Dumbledore bellow in an ear-sizzling roar. Harry, did you put your name of the goblet of fire? Snidely stormed back furious to the laundry room, his jaw still stiff from the lingering effects of McDonagall's spell. Once inside the bony Amork common room, he felt an inexorable magical force pull him to his left, while another unheard incantation closed the door sharply behind him. He peered into the darkness, and then the torches along the wall suddenly burst into flame, revealing the slim yet menacing figure of Jinji. Though a full three years his senior, the girl was of very slight build. Strangely tall for her heritage, she stood at least five foot nine and had long, straight black hair with a freakishly square fringe that framed her dark, inquisitive eyes. The willowy magical dynamo strode softly up to the shaking Snidely and spoke in a hushed rage. Why? Why you said my fucking name, you blast and scrotum? When? said Snidely, unable to remember a thing. In Great Hall, when last piece of paper ejaculate from cup. Ejaculate isn't really the word you want to... Shut up, you crap hole! Jinji shouted, incensed. Her patchy and irregular English was still a soft spot. Now tell me, why you shout Jinji? I... it said your name, I swear. You're the second Bogwart champion, Jin, not Patter. Ji's eyes grew wide at this, and she turned away from Snidely. Why he shouted, Harry fucking Patter, instead of me? I don't know, I guess he didn't want a Bork champion or something. Maybe because of all of them pranks you pull on him. Snidely shrugged and started to feel genuinely sorry that Ji was missing out on the honor. Suddenly the girl wheeled around and looked Snidely dead in the eyes again. I'm going make this stupid snowcack dick tourney completely destroy. You and ugly little friends will help me do. With that, she stormed out, the door banging behind her. Snidely was thrown off balance by the whoosh of magical anger emanating as she left the room. He knew he had just been drafted for a mission of supreme pettiness, and he was very excited indeed. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to support the show, nothing helps more than telling your friends in person and spreading the word on social media. You can find our pages on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. For more info on the show, go to our website at 
borkpodcast.wordpress.com. That's Bork spelled B-O-R-K-E. Here you'll also find artwork by the authors and friends, as well as PDF copies of every episode. Thanks again, and see you next week. Thank you.